Okay, thanks. Well, I won't introduce myself again because Steve did. And, and I want to throw one thing into the, the food pantry as well. You can bring those, the uh, canned goods and things here, and Kendra will be delivering them to the food pantry. So uh, just to add that in. Um, well, thank you for spending Sunday morning with us. So once again, and I guess I will go ahead because I've got it written down here and I don't want to throw myself off. So I will introduce myself again. Um, I am Larry Buddy. I'm one of the elders here at Echo Church. And if you're visiting, you are here at a time of transition for Echo Church. Steve talked about this a little bit last week, and, and we'll continue to talk about it. Uh, and, and that's not to say that if you had visited a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, that you wouldn't have been here during a time of transition, because this is something that Echo Church does. We transition. And not that that necessarily makes us different than a lot of other churches, but it's something that we do a lot of. We are always transitioning for one reason or another. It's something that we tend to do. Um, So in the meantime, while we're transitioning our lead minister and and searching for another lead teaching minister, uh, you will hear, like Steve said, from a number of different folks up here in the pulpit. Is it it still a pulpit? We don't have a pulpit, but is this still generally a pulpit? Does that work? Okay. Well, Steve also mentioned that you guys are really getting treated this morning because Kristen led worship and I'm preaching. So you guys hit the lottery this morning. Speaking of the lottery, there's my clever segue. $758,700,000. That was the jackpot that was won last week. If you guys paid any attention to that big news-making event, the Powerball lottery reached that amount, and one person won the jackpot. It is the largest single jackpot to be paid out. Now, there had been a larger jackpot that was paid out to multiple people, but this was the largest one paid out to a single person. Her name is Mavis Wanchik. I hope I'm saying her name correctly. If not, if she hears this podcast, please feel free to call me and tell me the correct pronunciation of your name. Uh, Anyway, it's a hard number for us to fathom, isn't it? 758 $0.7 million. When you say it like that, it's a little bit easier, I think. 758.7 is easier to to fathom than seeing all those zeros. But it's really difficult, isn't it? And it's it's hard to wrap your mind around what you would do, what you would be able to do with that amount of money. Have you ever played that game, like with family? My family tend to play it a lot. Like, what would you do if you won the lottery? What's the first thing you would do? Who would you give money to? What charities? Uh, what would you buy? Where would you travel? Those, those kinds of things. Would you tell anyone? Because you know if you tell people, people are going to treat you differently, right? It's like if I drove up this morning in a Bentley, you guys would think, okay, either Larry killed someone and took their Bentley or he won the lottery, right? I didn't, so don't worry about it. We drove up in Kristen's little Mazda, which is an awesome car. It's great. I'm not complaining about that at all. But but what would you do with that? How would your life change? I heard about a guy who was a, a devout Christian. He went to church, never missed a Sunday. He was active in his community. He gave truly out of the goodness of his heart. He was very generous with all the blessings that God gave him. And, it, and he was certain, and, and it was true, and he was certain that he was a good steward of God's blessings. And, and he truly, truly was. And he would, uh, he would pray. He would ask God to win the lottery because he knew what he could do with that money, the charities that he could give to, the way that he could benefit 
the kingdom. And, uh, and he died. And he never won the lottery. When he saw God face to face, he was in awe of the glory of God. He fell to his knees and worshiped God and he wept in the presence of God. But he had to ask God the question, God, why did I never win the lottery? You know how I would have used that money. You know how I would have used it to further your kingdom. You know that I would have used what you blessed me with to bless others, just as I did with all of your other blessings. Yeah, God replied, I I know that you would have done all that you said. And I also know that you would have done even more than you could have ever imagined with that money if you had ever won the lottery. So the guy says, then why didn't I win? God said, because, my son, you never bought a ticket. It's a lame joke, I know, and, and we're not really going to even use it as, as, a, as an illustration, but I do want to talk about prosperity, and that's kind of the, the segue. We're segueing into prosperity. So hence the lottery stuff and all the lame joke and all that stuff. So, so we're going to look into a, a kind of a strange place, a place that you don't expect to find prosperity in the Bible when, when you first read through it. We're going to go to the book of Hosea. But first, let's, let's stop and pray. Lord God, thank you for... Uh, Thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here and, and to be in your presence, to, to worship you, to sing to you, to read your word, Lord, and, and, and to, to dive into it and see how it instructs us. I pray that you'll bless this time and bless us through, the, through your word, and I pray that your spirit will speak to us today through your word. Amen. Now, I should mention another thing before we really dive in here. This is somewhat of a continuation of a, a ser- series of sermons that David Wheatley, God rest his soul, <laughs> began earlier this summer. Okay, for those of you that don't know, David Wheatley did not die. He's just dead to us. Um, I really hope he listens to this podcast. Seriously, David Wheatley was the previous teaching pastor here. He and his family moved to a town south of Indianapolis. That's why he's not here. He, we love David. We love the Wheatley family. We love, we love them all. We wish them the best. So th- this is all tongue-in-cheek. Um, but the series was intended to show, it was titled Jesus BC, and it was intended to show the consistent character of God, that God, as manifested in the New Testament uh, through Jesus, is consistent with, with the character of God that we see in the Old Testament. So we're going to go, in, in this vein, we're going to go into Hosea, and uh, in your blue Bibles, that's on page 636 is what I wrote down, if anyone's got one, and they can verify that I am indeed correct. Okay, 636. So the title of the sermon is, is The Prosperity Gospel According to Gomer. Now, Gomer is the wife of the prophet Hosea, and uh, hence the prophet Hosea, the, the name of the book Hosea. And Hosea lived in Israel around 800 B.C. And if you've not read this book, you're, you're in for a treat here. Uh, especially here at the beginning. We're, we're really going to only read chapter 1 here, and, uh, and I didn't ask anyone to read, so I'm going to go ahead and read because this is the buddy show this morning. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 1, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, 
and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. And that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer show love to the house of Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but by the Lord their God. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, call him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. They will be called sons of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be reunited, and they will appoint one leader and will come out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Okay, there's some confusing stuff there and some obvious stuff that we're going to have to get into. But first, let's do a little history lesson of Israel and what, what brings us to this point, what brings us to Hosea 1. So the name Jeroboam, the reign of Jeroboam is mentioned in, in the first verse. He's mentioned as a king of Israel. And to understand who Jeroboam is, we have to go backwards even further. We have to go back to Solomon and, and even to King David. So King David is the most well-known king of Israel, right? He's the, the guy, the man after God's own heart. He has a son, Solomon, who then becomes king of Israel. Uh, Solomon was known, we, we know him for wisdom, we know him for wealth, we know him for wives and concubines, right? He had to be wealthy in order to keep all these wives and concubines happy. But his wealth, all the wealth that he had accumulated and in, in, in his reign meant that the people of Israel, especially these ten northern tribes of Israel, are taxed. They're taxed heavily and they're, they're, doing, they're, they're labor intensive. There's a lot of building projects going on, not just the temple in Jerusalem, which was built during Solomon's reign, but a lot of other things going on. And the ten, these ten northern tribes aren't benefiting as much from this as these, as these lower southern tribes. They're taxed heavily. They're, they're working a lot for things that aren't terribly beneficial to them, or at least that they don't see. They don't see the prosperity coming out of these things. And Jeroboam opposed King Solomon and, and had to flee, had to leave the, the, the nation to, to get away from Solomon. He fled to Egypt. After Solomon's death, we read that Jeroboam returned to Israel and he returned and beseeched the new king, King Rehoboam, who is the son of Solomon, on behalf of the people of Israel, especially these 10 northern tribes who were taxed heavily. And he, he beseeched them to decrease the burden that was placed on them by Solomon. And as he asks the king, as, as these, these, he and, and, and the support of these leaders of the ten tribes come to, to King Rehoboam to, to ask him to lessen this burden that was placed on them by Solomon, Rehoboam's reply is, let me think about it for three days and I'll get back to you with an answer. Rehoboam then goes to his advisors, advisors who had, had advised King Solomon, and wise older advisors, and they say to him, if you indeed decrease their burden, these people will serve you for the rest of their lives. They will love you and serve you for the rest of your lives, their lives. Rehoboam didn't really take that advice. He goes to some of his friends that he had grown up with, and, you know, he gave them advisor positions. 
we see that happening today, don't we? He goes to them, and, and their wisdom isn't as wise. They tell him, straight out of, this is straight from the Bible, from 1 Kings 12, verses 10 and 11. They say, tell them that my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. Jeroboam, I'm I'm sorry, Rehoboam, took the advice of these young, stupid advisors. And upon hearing his decision, the people of Israel said, we don't want to be ruled any longer. We will have nothing to do with the house of Jesse. And Jesse was David's father, King David's father. So they're saying, we are going to separate from this. We don't want to have anything to do with this any longer. And they formed their own kingdom, this being the the northern kingdom, and they appointed Jeroboam as their king. And this isn't the end of our history lesson here. Jerusalem is in the southern part of Israel. It's it's part of the, the tribe of Judah. And, and uh, actually, Benjamin, it's in the, where the tribe of Benjamin settled and within the kingdom that becomes the kingdom of Judah. And the temple where the Jews have to go worship and celebrate their festivals is in Jerusalem. Jeroboam knows this, and he knows that, these, that his people, the people that he's ruling, are going to go south to Jerusalem to worship God and to attend these festivals. And this concerns him. He thinks as the people go down there, they're going to possibly stay. I'm going to lose my kingdom. Worse, they might actually decide they like Rehoboam better. They might come back and kill me and unite the kingdom under Rehoboam. I might lose everything. So this is what he does. He makes two golden calves. Does it sound a little bit familiar? He says to the people, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. These are the gods that you are to worship from now on. And then he himself began to worship these idols, these golden calves, and he offered sacrifices to them, and he told his people to do likewise. So then here we find, we find Hosea in the midst of all this, and God tells him to marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. And he tells him, furthermore, give these children weird names. Names like not loved and not my people. And the name Jezreel, we don't get a meaning here, but it it possibly means it has been translated as God scatters. These things, these commands, this doesn't sound prosperous. It doesn't sound like prosperity. It sounds sounds like hell. It It sounds pretty crummy. And this isn't the kind of prosperity that we would expect. But what have we just learned? What happens when God does bless people with the kind of prosperity we would expect? What happens when people do get wealth and riches? Well, let's go back to these lottery winners. What happens to most of the people that win the lottery? They end up broke. They make dumb decisions with their money, and they're broke, and they're miserable. Have you seen interviews with these people? They're, they're all over the interwebs. If you didn't see them when they occurred, they're, they're still there. And, and the ones that aren't broke, the ones that still have money, they say, my life is miserable. I'm treated differently. I, my friends have all left me. I, I, you know, probably because I'm a jerk now because I have money. I, I looked up. I, I, I 
researched this and I looked at Business Insider and, and they offered 10 lottery winners who not only blew their money, but afterwards they said they wished they had never won. Their life was worse than it was even before they won the money. I read things about, about a, a guy whose wife won the lottery and then she blew all the money and he was so ticked at her for blowing all the money that he murdered her. I mean, this, this kind of prosperity, you guys, it doesn't lead to happiness. It's when we get it, we act like idiots. I mean, we see this through history. We see this not just in ancient history. We see this today. We see this with what happens today. You guys, prosperity is not prosperity. And is that really what we should be seeking? Or should we be seeking abundance? Now let's look at, at Hosea and Gomer. And there are a few things about, about this in, in this chapter that I, I find very interesting. First of all, it's that God does not tell Hosea to marry somebody, and then, by the way, that somebody is going to turn out to be promiscuous. He basically tells Hosea, go out and find somebody, some, someone, a, a woman that is already promiscuous. You already know her. She's, she's like infamous, you know? You already know how she is. You already know what she's doing. Marry her and have kids with her. And then she's not going to like immediately change. She's going to continue in this promiscuity. In fact, we don't even read that the children that Gomer bears are actually Hosea's children. These could be the children of other, other men. And this is interesting to me. We have the obvious correlation that, that's given to us in verse 2 between Gomer and, and the people of Israel, it says, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. But the thing that's really interesting to me here is the correlation between Gomer and me. See, God calls me into this relationship with him when I am still unfaithful. He does the same for you, for all of us, for all of mankind, for all of us. We're called into a relationship with God not after we've picked ourselves up by the bootstraps, not after we've stopped sinning while we're still sinning. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's another thing that interests me here. Um, And that's that I don't really know what happened to Gomer after chapter 1. There's not mention of her. Chapter 2 goes into kind of a, a vague reference of, of, of your mother and, and you are to, to basically curse your mother. She's, she's, she's no good. She's, and, and this might allude to Gomer, but more, more likely it alludes to the state of the nation of Israel. But there's not much of a mention of Gomer. All the commentaries I read to prepare for this spoke of Gomer as being this outcast of Jewish society. And that works, right? Hosea goes to this outcast of Jewish society and brings her in and, and loves her and marries her. And that's just, this is what Christ does for us, right? Because of our sin, we are cast out from God, but Christ brings us in. This works, right? But maybe, maybe that's not exactly what happened. The NIV, which we just read, calls Gomer promiscuous. The American Standard Version says that she was a wife of whoredom. 
The King James says the same. The New American Standard called Standard Version calls her a wife of harlotry. But what if Gomer was not necessarily an outcast because of this? What if Gomer, as a prostitute, was actually part of the pagan worship of these golden calves? What if she was somewhat revered in this pagan worship? What if she had kind of a a, a standing within her community? It's not that far-fetched, really. We know that in, in the region of Canaan, the, the people that were there before the Israelites, the people that God commanded them to cast out, to, 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 just to purge the region of, that they were still there. The, the, the nation of Israel did not do as, as God commanded. They were still there. They were still worshiping. They still worshiped the Baals. They still worshiped pagan idols. And we know that, that part of this worship did involve temple prostitution. So maybe Gomer wasn't an outcast. But what was her prosperity for then? What was it good for? She was doing this on behalf of golden calves, on behalf of false gods. This prosperity that she might have been enjoying was for nothing. It was good for nothing. And, and we experience that, don't we? All the prosperity that we might seek here on earth, all the physical manifestations of prosperity that we look for, wealth, riches, even cars, houses, even our physical well-being, our own health, it's all for nothing without Christ. Our first goal is not these, these things. Our first goal, our focus, is the kingdom of God. And then all these other things are added. And not, the promise isn't that they're even added now. The promise is that they are added when God's kingdom is realized in full. And, and the place we can go from here is, is all of the, the storing the treasures in heaven and, and all of that. We can, we can go into that. And, and, well, let's do it for a minute. What are we then called to do with our blessings? What do we do with, with what we're blessed with? We bless others, right? And one way we do that, and I, 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 I want to tread lightly here because I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, that we need to, to, to give our money to Echo or, or any of that, but that is part of what we do. That is part of how we store our treasures in heaven is through our offerings, offerings that are given here at Echo. And this is a great time to plug that. There, are, there is an offering box in the back if, if you need to. And this is, this is your worship of God. But it is something that we need to do. It is something that, that flips our perspective from, from what we have here and now, from the things that we enjoy, from the, from, from the material things that, that we have to a, a storing up of those things in heaven. Because what happens when we, when we cling on to them here? It, the same thing that happens to the lottery winners. Eventually we lose it. Eventually it all goes away. Eventually it's all for nothing. So by storing it in heaven, by storing our treasures in heaven, by placing our goals on the kingdom of God, we guarantee that those treasures are stored forever, infinitely, that we enjoy them, we enjoy the presence of God 
for an infinite amount of time. And that's where I want to land. That's where I want to land right now. Because the other promises that we receive are that we do enjoy prosperity. And and again, I want to change that word from prosperity to abundance. We do have abundance here and now. That is part of the promise of God's prosperity. So, the prosperity that God offers us, that we have, is, uh, is personified to me in kind of a, a physical attitude. We don't, we don't experience this as much because we live in a country that is not ruled by a king. But to you guys who, uh, who like Game of Thrones, I, I have never watched it. But when someone approaches a king, what's their, what's their physical attitude? How do, they, how do they approach a king? It's bowed. They don't even meet the eyes of the king until they're raised up, until the king gives them permission to stand in his presence and to view him face to face. But you guys, the prosperity that we are offered right now, even here in the presence of God, is that we can stand in his presence and look upon him. Not because we have anything to offer him, not because we have anything that we can give him, but because he gave us everything. We have that. We have that abundance. His spirit is here with us right now, and we can live abundantly in that spirit, and we can stand in his presence, and we can worship him, and we can lift him up, and we can thank him, and we can praise him. That is prosperity. That is abundance. So that leads us to a time of communion where we recognize, we recognize that, that like I said, there is nothing that we can, that we can give to God to, to earn the abundance. There's nothing that we can provide that gives us this. He provides it for us. He provides it through his son. If we're not, we, we would still be kneeling. We would be worse than kneeling in his presence. We would be dead. We would be laid out in the presence of God. But because our sins are covered by Christ, because we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, we are able to stand. We are able to be in the presence of God. So as we take communion, let's just, let's just focus on that. Let's just recognize what God did for us, the abundance that he provided for us through his son. I'm going to pray, and then, uh, then we'll pass the emblems, and we just invite you, if you, if, if, if you believe 
in this, if, if you trust this, if you want to live in this abundance, we invite you to, to take a piece of bread that represents the body of Christ and, and the cup which represents the blood of Christ and just ingest that, ingest the abundance of Christ. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your abundance. Thank you for the prosperity that you provide that is just beyond anything that we can fathom, that is just so much greater than anything on this earth, Lord, anything that we've experienced. Thank you for that. I pray that at this time that your presence will be palpable to us, that we will know your presence, feel your presence, and that, that you will, will overflow out of us, Lord. Please bless this time where we commune. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask that we end things a little bit differently. Um, we'll, we'll still pray our way out of here. But uh, could you guys stand? And I'm going to ask that we, just, that we assume this posture. This posture of living abundantly in the presence of God. Normally when we pray, we, we, we take that, that humble posture and, and we bow. And, but, and that, there's, that, that's, that is a wonderful posture, and, and there are times that call for that. But right now, let's, let's lift up. Let's raise our hands, raise our faces, raise our heads, because God is the lifter of our heads. And let's just pray our way out of here, and let's... Thank him and praise him for this. Lord God, thank you. Thank you so much for your abundance. Thank you that, that we are blessed even now beyond anything in this world, any materials, anything. Lord, to live in your presence, to exist in your presence, to walk with you. Lord, thank you. Thank you that that's been given to us through Christ. Thank you. I pray that we will go out of here and that we will live our lives that way, Lord. That we will be constantly reminded that we live in abundance. It's in your name we pray. Amen.